Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. This is a special episode today because we've got a special guest. Uh, we have Share Our Strengths, new CEO. Can we still call you new? It's four months. Uh, I, I'll take it. Still okay. new. <laughs> still new. Uh, there's advantages to being new. Anne Philippic is with us. Uh, we think of Share Our Strength being at the center of food, passion, and making a difference. And we think of Anne uh, as our new leader being at the center of Share Our Strength. So we're really thrilled to have this opportunity to introduce Anne to uh, a lot of the rest of the Share Our Strength network. And I know that Anne, many of our own staff, um, quite a few who work remotely and have met you at gatherings and convenings, but have not been with you day to day are going to be eager to hear a little bit more about you as well. So this is a good opportunity for us internally as well as externally. I'm excited about it. Having Thanks for having me on. Uh, as you know, uh, your being here was the product of a really extensive search. That's the first time we've searched outside of the organization for a CEO. And so there was obviously kind of a lot of weight put on uh, getting this right. And we spent a lot of time talking to our team asking folks what they were looking for in terms of leadership. And uh, a lot of what we heard was uh, somebody who could help us evolve and blossom into the broader anti-poverty work that we aspire to do, uh, that we think is uh, an essential component of reaching No Kid Hungry, somebody who is inclusive, who's a good listener, a servant leader, uh, somebody who, as we grow larger, can bring a decisiveness to our uh, deliberations and, and work and decision making and somebody who would set priorities and unify the organization and align them around those. And uh, as people got to know you, everybody agreed that that was you. Uh, <laughs> so that's a pretty, pretty tall order to live up to. But uh, so far you have. And as we yeah, say, it's only no been, pressure, no pressure. No, no pressure. Um, and it's only been four months. But this is a uh, from my point of view, as somebody who's been here uh, a long time, 38 years, this is a very exciting uh, inflection point. Uh, in the organization's history and the perfect time for uh, leadership that brings the kind of the diversity of experience and and the ideas and the, the just kind of the life uh, experiences that, that you've had. So um, just to give folks a flavor of, you know, what you've done that led to you getting to this point, uh, talk a little bit about some of your uh, early beginnings in politics and policy and government. Yeah, well, I will say I... Um sort of what, what led me to all of this, I like probably like many college students really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life in my college years. Um, you may be surprised, Billy, to know that when I went to college, I thought I wanted to work in fashion marketing, uh, which uh, our listeners uh, can't see what I'm wearing, but let's just say they wouldn't be wowed by the high fashion of my denim shirt and, and black <laughs> pants. Um, so I, I giggle about that a little bit now, um, but really didn't know um, what my uh, personal passion was. But um, like most things in life, I think I, I sort of found the answers just by by living, like go, going forward and, and doing the things that I loved in life. And so in college, I got really involved in a bunch of extracurricular activities and, was, and found that the ones I was most excited about were mission driven. Um, so for example, Dance Marathon, which is a student-led fundraiser um, on a lot of, lot of college and campuses. Is this Washington University yes, in St. Louis? Yes, I was yep. at, at WashU in St. Louis, but uh, Dance Marathon, uh, I think, originated at Indiana University and is at a lot of, lot of schools across the country. Student-led um, fundraiser for Children's Miracle Network, uh, which supports children's hospitals across the country. Um, and through my leadership position in Dance Marathon as I think a junior in college, I participated in a Wash U uh, 
program set up for leaders of a, of a wide range of student-led organizations um, and spent the summer in this leadership program. And I just remember um, being in community with people who shared sort of similar passions as I did. And as I said, just sort of feeling alive in a different way. And, and I think it was that moment that I said, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what I want to do with my life, but I know I want to I know I want to make a difference. Um, and that really was built upon um, you know, how my parents raised me and, and sort of how how um, how I was raised in a belief that, you know, you are your brother's keeper, you are your sister's keeper and that um we're all here just to to make a difference in whatever way we can. And was this a, a kind of a, a political uh, backdrop that your parents created, or was it a faith based backdrop, or both? Or I, you know, I think my parents are. There's a little bit of faith based. So um, I, I went to Catholic school for twelve years. So certainly there are elements of that that um, sort of the 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 Jesuit line of the Catholic faith and commitment to social justice. Your grammar must be very good. My, my <laughs> wife says she went to Catholic school. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother podcast of the Catholic <laughs> school experience. But um, but I think it, I think in many ways, my parents just approach life as being good citizens and mm-hmm. thinking that's like that's part of our jobs on this planet um, and, and, and in big ways and in small ways. Um, so it wasn't about politics. And actually, I think my, my parents were quite surprised that when I graduated from college, I got involved in electoral politics, which was my first job. I drove out from St. Louis to South Dakota and worked on um, Tom Daschle's uh, Senate campaign. At the time, he was the Senate minority leader. But the politics, I, so I think the mission-driven element of my past is, um, it was not a necessarily a big surprise. I think the politics was the surprise. And the reason that I got involved in politics was really not a, not because of a, a excitement about the blood sport of politics. Uh, it was, I think that um, when I realized I wanted to make a difference, uh, I, 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 when I went to college, I, I started college in fall of 2000, a very big election in the fall of 2000, uh, you know, Bush and Gore, um, and a very close election. And, uh, and I think then being in college in the years following that election, and seeing policy decisions being made um, helped me understand first that policy has a pretty profound impact on people's lives and that for better or worse, politics has a pretty profound impact on policy. And so for me, it was natural that um, while I didn't think I wanted to work in politics forever, I was graduating in spring of 2004, another big campaign year. And I said, well, if I want to make a difference for six months, I can move to South Dakota and work on a political campaign and we'll see what comes of it. Um, and I'll, I won't get the long the long version of the story. The short version of the story is that Tom Daschle lost, which was devastating. And he was, a, I think, a great senator. Um, and so a, a real loss. But the way that like life takes its twists and turns is he lost in 2004. Um, there was an up-and-coming senator uh, from Illinois named Barack Obama who was looking for talented staff. Um, and as a lot of Daschle staff lost their jobs, they went and worked for Barack Obama. And uh, and a few years later, when Barack Obama was running for president, I'd, I personally did not go work for Obama at that point, but I knew a lot of people who had. I had worked with them on the Daschle campaign. And so a few years later, when a lot of those folks got hired to work for Barack Obama, um, he was the candidate I was excited to work for. Um, and serendipity uh, allowed me to, to move out to Iowa uh, to work on his campaign. 
and you recently sent me this wonderful six minute clip of, uh, I guess at the 15 year anniversary of Barack Obama. Yes. The Iowa caucuses. January 3rd was the 15 year went anniversary. Went back and spoke to some of the field organizers. Um, and I watched it and I wasn't even involved in that campaign. And I found it very moving just because I can kind of relate from some of the political experience I've had. What was it like for you to just kind of go back in time 15 years? Oh, it was very, it was very moving. You know, I think um, the experience of working on the Obama campaign in Iowa, and you know, I moved there in March of 2007 when I, I, I say, you know, no one really moved to Iowa or, or joined that campaign in the spring of 2007 because you thought it was your ticket to the White House, right? You, uh, for, the, for many of us, we really believed in him as a candidate and his vision for the country. And, and for me personally, I said, I, you know, as someone who, as I referenced earlier, really was turned off by the blood sport of politics and and really saw it as a means to an end. I so appreciated what I what I heard in Barack Obama's his vision for for not just our country but also our politics. And so I joined, not not really thinking that it would lead to a victory, an ultimate uh, presidential victory, or a job in the White House. Um, and so there's one, just some purity in that, right? A real beauty of people who are there because they want to make a difference. Um, and two, no, because no one thought you had a chance early on. And, and I'll tell you, when you worked there, you didn't really feel like you had a chance, right? You, um, you know, we our organizers would make phone calls and say, I'm calling on behalf of Barack Obama's campaign. And people would say, who, what? Like, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Um, and Iowa, you know, lots of pros and cons of the Iowa caucus. But one of the things about the Iowa caucus is it was so intimate that you could truly feel in the air the progress you were making. Like you when, actually talked to voters in yes, Iowa. At, yes, at, and, and like we have, in New Hampshire as well. Of course. But after that, it's you're just watching TV commercials right. in most places. And, and you are, you're, you're hosting events and sitting down at kitchen tables and uh, and you know there there are these sort of crowd building events that happen throughout the campaign and and there was a a a true tangible sense of energy that was gaining in the fall of 2007 so it it just was a very special thing to be part of and and I and I often say that one of the greatest gifts I got from that experience of course some of it was it's it's cool to work on a, a winning presidential campaign um but I think um beyond that to at such a young age, I was I think 25 when I moved to Iowa, um, to take a lesson in life that that you really can do the seemingly impossible if you put your heart into it and you as a group come together um, and put your heart into changing the world. And it, it fostered in me, I think, a boldness of what's possible and what what groups of people who are really committed to their mission can achieve. Uh, and that's something that... Um, I think has allowed me to take some risks in in the rest of my career that I don't think I would have taken if I hadn't had um, that experience and seen what was possible in Iowa. And then at what point after the campaign did you go into the Obama administration right away? Right away, right away. So um, I joined, first I uh, joined Health and Human Services at the start of the administration. And then I was at um, the White House for basically the second half of the first term. So 2011 to 2013, I was is in the White House. You know, Debbie and I both, our formative experience was also a political campaign. Of course, Hart's we bonded over campaign. that. We yes. bonded over that. And as soon as I met you, you know, and I've always been attracted to people uh, who have 
have campaign experience because I feel like you have to learn how to do everything uh, and you have to be resilient and you have to do a little bit of fundraising, a little bit of policy, a little bit of community organizing. You, you, you know, you, it's almost like the a domestic version of the Peace Corps where you just get dropped in somewhere and you've got to figure it out. Absolutely. Um, and I'm just wondering if that's been your experience. And so, and Debbie and I, in the early days of Share Strength, we, uh, when we actually first started the organization, it was with two or three other campaign veterans of the Heart Campaign. Uh, since then, you know, we haven't had a lot of political people here. But I'm just wondering about, you know, how you think about the relevance of campaigning to the kind of work that we do here. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do think there's a a resilience and a mentality and a sort of eyes on the prize um, that comes with it. I mean, one of the beauty, beautiful things about campaigns is it's very clear what success looks like, yes. right? It's fifty percent plus one, right? Yeah. Usually, like, uh, and and the, like, and so that um, that allows you to be very um, clear-eyed in setting goals, in tracking your progress towards goals, in sort of just being data-oriented generally. Um, I think there's uh, so there's that element of just sort of how you think about setting goals towards success. Um, that uh, that that frankly, is much more complicated in most other organizations and settings. But to have like built those muscles early on, that that's just part of how you do your job is you, you, you set goals and you figure out how to break those into daily tasks and, and get there. Um, there's also a big part, uh, like just management, you know, at a really young age, um, you know, I, I was managing hundreds of people at the age of 26, right? And sort of thrown into um, to understanding all that comes with that, right? And, and in this very high pressure environment, as I was saying earlier, an understanding of the power of a group of people coming together toward a common mission. And I would add to that uh, the power of organizational culture. Um, and I think campaigns I think there's elements of campaigns, bad campaigns you work on can have terrible cultures. Um, I would say for me, why we won Iowa, taking nothing away from the incredible candidate Barack Obama, um, it was the organizational culture that we fostered on that campaign. Uh, and and it lifted every, it, it sort of lifted the group up in this incredible way um, that I think we're truly the, the sum was so much larger than the 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 whole of the parts, and uh, and and so I, I learned a lot from that also of the importance of investing in culture uh, and uh, and and what can be possible if you do that right. Uh, you know, most folks probably the only picture they have uh, in their heads of what it's like to work in the White House is from the West Wing. Of course, um, yes. <laughs> and I was going to have, have you just kind of paint a picture for us. Like what was your, what was a, a day like on the White House for you or, or a week or right. just like how did it feel? Well, the thing about the White House is that there's no typical day, right? It is, you sort of wake up and you, you don't know what, what the day will bring because when you're just sort of in the center of the universe and, um, and whether it's crisis management or, um, whatever is coming your way, you have to be nimble and able to respond. And so it's sort of the, the typical day of the White House is there's no typical day. Um, and that is what is one of the things that's so exhilarating about the White House and also pretty exhausting, right? You know, it's like one of the few workplaces in the world where folks leave after a year or two and you say, thank you so much for your service. Not like, what do you mean you're right. leaving so early, right? Because there's so much work that's um, put into the, that 
relatively brief period of time. Um, so I, in, in this most recent stint in the White House, I was assistant to the president for management and administration. And um, that was really about overseeing the, the operational infrastructure of the White House. So White House personnel, um, the White House budget, um, the like things like the, the like physical plant, the operations about just the, the campus and keeping it um, running. But I also worked on um, COVID operations as part mm. of, um, as part of it. This was a, a new part of the portfolio of M&A, management and administration. Um, and uh, to, to keep people at the White House safe. To keep people at the White House safe. Yeah. yeah. So including the president. Yes. Including the president and principals, but, in, but including all the people that um, that that we're working there, you know, at a time in early 20, you know, I showed up for work on January 20th, 2021. And uh, most of the country was still working remotely there. There's a lot of work that just needs to happen in the White House. And so we had to figure out um, how to pretty quickly build an operation that um, that struck the right balance of supporting people and doing their jobs while also keeping them safe. Now, I want to talk about your decision to come to share our strength and what went into that, why this work was kind of important to you and attractive. And, you know, it's also, I think, an opportunity for us to talk about some of the other parts of your career, because as we were getting to know each other, one of the things that was, you know, very, very uh, appealing to me and to, I know to the Share Our Strength board was you had some experience that felt so on point with what we do. Um in addition to being a chief program officer for the Obama Foundation, you'd been CEO of Enroll America, which I thought of as very analogous in mm -hmm. terms of your responsibility for enrolling eligible families in healthcare and the Affordable Care Act uh, with what we do with children and families for school meals and SNAP and, and WIC. And it just felt like that was um, almost like a, a muscle or a reflex that you developed. So we can talk about all of that, but let's start with kind of like why share our strength. I'd say a couple things about share our strength that really drew me. So one is, is the mission. Um, I, uh, not only did I want to continue to do mission driven work, but, but both the, the issue that share our strength is focused on in childhood hunger and its approach to addressing that issue felt, felt right to me. Um, I think when I think about the, the, the things I've chosen to focus on throughout my career, it's not necessarily one specific issue. You know, some people say I, I climate, like that's the area I'm going to invest in and, and I'll, you know, do different sorts of work in that regard. I have worked on, you know, civic engagement and healthcare and a wide range of issues, electoral uh, efforts, as we said. Um, I think for me, what the, the common connection between those experiences is doing work and working on issues that feel connected to so many other elements of our society. They feel like if we can't get this right, like we're not going to get a whole bunch of other stuff right. Um, and so healthcare for me, um, it, it felt so central to not only individuals' well-being, but but literally the health of our country, right? And, and the potential for where we were headed. And I see that in Share Our Strength. You know, I think of and I, you know, I am a mom of three little kids myself, six and under. And um, and so thinking about um, how fundamental it is for kids to have access to um, healthy to healthy meals to to reach their full potential, um, it just it is so fundamental to 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 their potential. And when I think about our kids reaching their full potential, 
that's everything. Like that's the ball game, right? That's that's when you think about name an issue that you think about in the future of where we're headed as a country. And uh, and our kids, all kids, not just some kids, but all kids being able to reach their full potential. It's it's just kind of everything, right? And so I was really attracted to to the mission, um, to the work that this organization does, and and attracted, I think, to the the boldness um, and the way that since the beginning, Share Our Strength has has um, been entrepreneurial, has uh, worked to think differently about problem solving, and really been coalition based. And and uh, you know the how you always say um, you know everyone has a strength to share, and that that, that is where the name came from, and and just so core to um, the coalition based approach that since the beginning. Um, and so that was really attractive to me. And then I think the other thing I'd say was that the organization, as you all articulated during the process, it was so clear that the inf- organization was at an inflection point. Obviously at an inflection point and choosing a new CEO, but I think um, much more broadly, um, how much the organization had grown in recent years, how um, you all were thinking about expanding um, what it means to fulfill our mission, um, building upon the extraordinary work of the No Kid Hungry campaign to get kids meals today, mm-hmm. but thinking also how do we address the root causes of hunger? Um, I, I think you know coming out of the pandemic, we as a society are at an inflection point. And something I was thinking a lot about in my next steps is we need the well-established organizations and leaders um, across the country, across the world, to be thinking differently, to be lifting their heads and saying, we've done great work so far, but what do we need to do differently to really um, uh, take our work to the next level? And I felt that so clearly from the Share Our Strength board and from the staff I was able to meet um, uh, before I even started. And that that was exciting to me, to join an organization that has been successful, that is well-established, but also is at an inflection point and looking to do things in new and big and different ways. Yeah, I always feel like the challenge with share strength and with organizations like ours is to um, find a way to convey without it being a downer that good is not good enough. You yeah, know, that you've got to lift your sights even higher because these are huge, uh, seemingly intractable. I don't believe they're intractable, but they often seem intractable problems that have been with us for a long time, uh, and you can make an enormous amount of progress against them but still know that you need to aim even higher to actually end up solving. Absolutely. Uh, and and that, and to that point that this, that this is actually a solvable problem, right? I think there's, there's a lot of things that we work towards that we're like, well, we can, like we can make a little dent here. Um, but this is something it, it, it will take, it will take, you know, taking the work to the next level to do it on so many fronts, but, but this is in fact a solvable problem. Um, and that, um, and maybe that's like the campaigner in me, right? That's yes. like, that's interested in, 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 uh, in success at the end of the day, right? Of, 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 of leaning in and, and incremental, um, but, but seeing that there, there is a solution here um, that, that we can find together as a society. You referenced being a mom of three kids under six, which is a handful. I know <laughs> yes. I've got three kids, but they're spaced out 38, 31 and 17, uh, but three under six, I can't even imagine. Uh, but uh, did that, uh, I mean, did that in any way change the way you started to think about these issues? Change, is there a difference between uh, the Anne who went to Iowa as a single woman without any res- you know, family responsibilities, except to your parents probably, 
uh, and now working on issues that, as you say, affect kids. Uh, fortunately, your own kids uh, probably don't deal with hunger, but you still see the world through the lens of kids when you're a parent. Yeah. At least sometimes. I, you know, I, I, I do think that, I think yes and no, because I, I do think that part of what appealed, uh, of, of how Share Our Strength appealed to me was, you know, it's so I, I, so easy for me to look at my kids and, and think of kids across the country and the world and um, and that they deserve every opportunity that my kids my kids have. And and uh, so so, yes, but I but I'd also say, you know, I, you know, back to Dance Marathon, I was really excited about engaging in children's issues when I was 19 years old. Um, I You know, I think that how having kids has changed me is maybe a little bit more as a leader as how I, how I think about, um, um, how I think about leading organizations and how I think about my own orientation to those organizations. So, um, as we've touched on here, I've had extraordinary opportunities, um, that I would, would never change or, or give up, uh, and some, some great successes in that professionally. And it has meant, it, it, sort of putting my whole self into to those um, professional opportunities. Uh, and I think something that was very hard for me oh, after I had my first child was was recalibrating a little bit mm. and and how to do mission-driven work in organizations that I'm, I'm there because I believe so deeply because I want to make an impact. Um, and what I had done up to that point in my career was always put my whole self into my work. And, 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 it, and that felt good and that felt right because it was mission driven. But what I found after I had kids was if I'm putting my whole self into my work, I'm not leaving anything for my family. And, and I still struggle with that sometimes, to be frank, and sort of trying to find that balance. I think Share Our Strength is an organization that really invests in and cares about its sort of the whole selves of their employees, right? And um, I remember when I was interviewing for the job reading uh, exec team bios on the website, just to try to get a flavor of, of who these people are and what this organization is. And I was so struck by people talking about their love for travel or the hobbies that they had. Um, don't ask me about my hobbies. I, I <laughs> don't have a whole lot to share, but I'm I'm eager for them, right? And, and, and not just for me, not just to create space for other things that are precious to me in my life, but I, I am excited to be part of an organization that is creating that space for others as well. That, that we can achieve big things, that you can commit yourself to mission-driven organizations. And that doesn't necessarily mean sacrificing the other things that are precious in your life, whether that's kids or, or something else. Um, I do think it's healthy that maybe as a society and, and as an industry, uh, that mission-driven organizations are trying to figure out how to, to strike that balance, right? To, to do good work and achieve bold goals. Um, but also support people in the other aspects of their lives that are that are also worthy of investment. And I just I think Share Our Strength has been a real leader in that space for many years. But to answer your question directly, I, I think when I see the Share Our Strength culture, I, I I was immediately struck first by the people, just an extraordinary group of kind, talented, smart mission-driven individuals who have fun together and really care about each other. I think that Share Our Strength, like 
most organizations are, we spoke about inflection points earlier. I think we're at a cultural inflection point after a few years of staff working remotely. And not just that, you know, or add to that, that share our strength um, grew tremendously in the last few years. And, you know, several years ago, the majority of staff were, you know, based in DC and now over half of our staff are based across the country. And so to have grown so much during this like really fascinating cultural moment of the pandemic, that again is not unique to share our strength, but a lot of organizations and individuals figuring out how, like, how do we do work in this, this sort of new world? And so I think we're at a moment uh, as we go forward of really, like, what is the culture of share our strength tomorrow, right? Like, what is the culture of the future? And I don't think it is dramatically different. Uh, I think our, you know, our, the things that really make share our strength special and fun in a place that so many people have been here for decades, we, we will maintain that, we will invest in that. But I also think there's an opportunity to say, how do we achieve our work? How do we think differently about it? We, how we achieve our work? How do we lift our eyes a bit, as we were saying earlier? And 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 also, what does that look like in to, to do work together, to achieve our go- goals together in the year 2023? It, it just, it, it has to look different. And there's, uh, I think, a lot for share strength to continue to do of to sometimes I like to say to like sit in, get comfortable sitting in the discomfort of that conversation and continuing to, to look at how we are every day, um, not just achieving our mission, but walking the walk um, in the way that we want to achieve that mission. We, uh, as part of culture, we talked, you talked about having fun and uh, when we think about fun here, we often think about food uh, because we do so much that celebrates food and it's so much a part of our revenue generation and the way we connect and bond with people. Um, and I've tried a couple times to uh, get you to think about either, you know, your relationship to food, your favorite chef, favorite restaurants. Um, and most recently, uh, you punted this to your husband, who apparently is the chef in the family. And he you is. were describing me this great holiday feast that you all just yes. enjoyed. Yes, yes. So, um, so yes, I, I do, um, you know, share strength as, as such a great sort of foodie organization. Um, so I hang my head in shame a little bit when I say that I'm not much of a foodie myself. Some of that, I will say, is with three little kids at home, it's not like, you know, the five of us are, are, are on Friday nights checking out the DC restaurant scene. So hopefully in years in the future, I will have the opportunity to do that. Uh, but also to your point, I am not much of a cook myself. Um, but um, the key, the answer, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is to marry the chef, right? Chef might be too strong of a word, but but Carlos, my husband, really enjoys cooking and 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 so does all the cooking in our house. Um, we've created a little bit of a tradition of um, of these, uh, especially on New Year's Eve, uh, a, a dinner party with dear friends where Carlos will do this multi-course, usually uh, you know six or seven courses, and it's. Uh, and it is, um, you know, plated. But I think what, and maybe this is the the organizer in me, but what I most love about those experiences is the sense of community. Mm-hmm. And, and I do believe in the power of coming together around a meal. Um, and uh, and we do it with very dear friends. And, and we use that time to reflect a little bit on the year that's passed and the year to come. Um, and so it's a really great tradition. And I am lucky to have a husband who can pull it off. So, Well, as we wrap up and as we're thinking about the future, let's talk a little bit just about 
I guess, um, how you think about success for yourself, whether it's five or 10 years down the road. Uh, my, my job for 38 years has been to get the organization to a place where we would attract a great CEO like you. So now I've done it. <laughs> but you have to define for yourself what success is going to look like uh, down the road. So how do you think about you know, what you what, what you hope we can say about Share Our Strength some number of years from now? Absolutely. Um... Well, first, I, 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 as I said, I, I feel so fortunate because I think all the things I will share are about building upon the work that is has already happened and, and, and in many ways was in motion when I joined. And, and uh, as I said, it was very clear that the organization recognized it was in an inflection point. And um, so th- I think that the things that I share are um, building upon the work of a lot of really great people. But I, I think at first I would say... Um, articulating a, a bold vision with a broader, more comprehensive view of what it means to end childhood hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that is, uh, you know, we, we talk, we've started to talk a little bit about this internally of what it means to end childhood hunger today, tomorrow, and forever. Um, and the today is an essential piece of that, right? The, the getting meals to kids who are hungry now will remain a critical priority. Um, and to think about how are we supporting um, families to make sure that they have the resources they need for the meals tomorrow? And ultimately, how do we get to the root causes of hunger? That will mean that these families don't need to depend on government programs to make sure um, that uh, their family has the meals that they need. Um, So again, team's been doing a a lot of extraordinary work and and credit to you, Billy, for a few years ago, I think, recognizing the opportunity and the need to start to get into that root cause work. Um, But um, I think we are, you know, we are at a place where um, there's, um, that is starting to come into focus in new ways. So um, that's absolutely, you know, high on the list, if not top on the list of of, um, goals to achieve as we go forward. Uh, The second thing I would say is, continuing to expand uh, the circle and bring more people into this af- uh, to this effort. Um, and that is, um, again, you know, rooted in, in that, that mantra, that belief that was core to how you and Debbie started this work from, from the beginning of um, everyone has a strength to share. And we, um, the organization has grown tremendously. We have very bold and ambitious goals. And we're going to have to figure out how to bring a whole lot more people <laughs> into that circle, um, into that coalition. Um, and and um, part of that is about resourcing um, you know, our bro- broad programmatic goals. But I think there's something even bigger than that. And that is for for a lot more people to feel that that stake in uh, in solving this problem, right? And yep. and we need if we're truly going to solve this solvable issue, um, we can't do it alone. Um, and that is not just because more people are contributing financially or whatever the case is. It is because we all feel a stake in this issue. Um, so I do think it is how do we how do we bring more people in um, to develop the passion that you and I have about um, about solving this. Well, and I have to say, I love hearing you say that because we were at a meeting earlier today, you and I and some of our colleagues, and we were celebrating the fact that we had brought uh, just in the last few weeks about 36,000 new first-time donors in to share our strength, which is a great thing. And it's one of the biggest uh, increases we've had in support. And I think it puts us you know, right up against any other organization uh, doing this work, but 
36,000 in a country with 300 million right. says we've still got a lot of a room to grow. To we've still got a long, a long way to go. to go. And the truth is that to solve these problems, uh, we we need everybody. Right. You know, uh, this is not something we can just like wait for Congress to get itself sorted out and organized and assume that, okay, once the House and Representatives is is organized and the Senate is working, that this problem will go away. We know that it's going to take more than that. So, um, so to me, what you just said will be a incredible marker of our success when we're able to say, yeah, look how many new people have come into this effort. Exactly. And it, and it, you know, you asked me earlier in the conversation about lessons I learned from campaigns and certainly from the Obama campaign, it was, um, you know, I talked about organizational culture, but key to that was, uh, respect and power include was a sense that um, everyone had a role to play in that campaign. And uh, and there's something to that as well, that um, when we think about these big thorny issues of our time, like what does it look like for people to feel like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on this team. I'm, okay. I'm part of solving this issue, right? And not just I like, good job, please. I, I think this is an important issue. I'm so grateful you're working on it. Thank you for your work. But like, I'm in, you know, I want to be a part of this. Um, and, and I think that there's, uh, I, I really think share our strength um, rooted in, in a lot of how you all have approached this work for, for decades now is, is very well positioned to be um, at the leading front of, of a lot more people feeling um, that personal investment in this issue. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Please visit adpassionandstir.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share Ad Passion and Stir with a friend and rate the show so that others can find it. Ad Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woody Whittle's team at District Productive and Johanna Weber of Pop and Awe with support from our team at Share Our Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. They include Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of individuals sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Until then, thanks so much for listening.